Well, again, welcome to Riverwood Church, whether you are here with us in person or you're joining online, really glad that you have uh, chosen to take an hour or so of your day, your morning, to worship Jesus with us and to hopefully be encouraged and challenged through the teaching of God's word. Uh, Before we uh, get to our grad moment here in a bit and uh, the sermon, I just want to run through a few announcements. Uh, If you are a first-time guest with us, really, really glad that you've joined us. Um, We as a church have a, a belief that we are to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. We, we are created to be a blessing to the world. And so we try to figure out how can we embed this idea into every aspect of our church family. And so we've even tried to seek to do it in honoring your presence with us today. So if you are a first-time guest, again, whether you're here in person or you're online, we want you to let us know that you're here. And if you do so, we will donate $5 to Compassion International on your behalf. Compassion is an organization that has a goal of releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. They work through local churches all throughout the world, and they help kids get an education to get some food get some clothing. And in the process, they're changing entire communities. But best of all, they're helping kids learn about the life-saving message of Jesus. So if you'd like to make a small difference in the life of a child, if you'll just fill out that card, uh, there's a connection card at the cluster of chairs. If you need an extra, there's some back at the back. If you're online, just simply send us an email to riverwood at weareriverwood.org. Just let us know your name, a little bit of your contact info, and we just want to say thank you for coming, and we would love to help a child just have a little bit of a better day because of you being here today. Um, All of our announcements can be found online on our digital handout. That is located at bit.ly. It's B-I-T dot L-Y slash notes R-W. Make sure to capitalize the N, the R, and the W. So please head over there. Uh, If you're online, just click on the notes tab and you've got a link that can take you right to our digital handout. But there's just a couple of things on there that I want to draw out your attention to. Uh, Summer is rapidly approaching. I realized the other day as we're sitting around the supper table having conversations about scheduling things for the summer. I'm like, oh, I should probably let Riverwood know of a few things. So the first thing I want to let you know is that we are having a partners meeting on Sunday, June 6th. Now, we're not making huge decisions like we did and, hey, let's lease a building. Um, But there are some things that the elder team feels like, hey, we just need to let the partners know. Now, if you are not a Riverwood partner, I just want you to know you have full freedom to come to that meeting, all right? It's just going to take place right after our worship gathering right here in this room. You are more than welcome. If you're a regular attender of Riverwood, you're part of the family. So you can hear this stuff. Being a partner is just simply saying, hey, I'm going to take a step up. I'm going to help hold the church accountable and allow the church to help hold me accountable in following Jesus. It's partnering up through your finances, through your energy, through your time. And so that's really what it means to be a partner. But if you're a regular attender of our church, you are part of the family. We want you to be here. So feel free to to be a part of that meeting as well. I don't know if we're going to live stream it, though. So I think we're just going to do it here in person, not because we're trying to keep anything secret, but it's just too much work to try to uh, get that all put together. So we'll do it here. So if you need to send a representative uh, from your home to to be in attendance, that would be totally fine. But we just need to let you know some uh, financial things. We need to let you know some uh, updates to the Constitution. We're adding some bylaws, just uh, some things. We'll try and roll that stuff out to you, and you'll uh, have the heads up on on some of that if you're a partner. Um, So I just want you to know that's going to be on June 6th. All right, later this summer... um, Uh, There are summer camps that are going on, and so we want you to know that you can learn more about those camps at Pine uh, uh, Pine Lake 
Pinelakescamps.org. You'd think I would know it by now. I've only been typing it for however long. Pinelakescamp.org. Uh, they've got camps for all ages. My boys have gone a number of years now. Absolutely love it. Um, and also want to let you know that I'm the speaker for family camp. So my family is going to be gone July 2nd through 4th. And I want to invite you to bring your whole family and attend with us. Uh, and you can just play uh, all weekend long. Yes, you have to put up with me being the teacher at three chapels. But you guys put up with me on Sunday. So you'll be fine. It'll be fun. So come join us that week or find a week that would work for your kids. They, they've got camps from elementary on up, and it's, it is totally worth it. Also, we are partnering once again with the Waverly VBS, uh, the Waverly Community VBS. Um, that's going to be taking place July 12th through 15th. And so registration will actually open on June 1st. So we encourage you to register your kids, but also to pull this off, to do it at the excellent level that we've done it for a number of years now. We need volunteers. And so volunteers, we also need you to go to that registration. You do not have to have kids that need VBS to participate. We need all sorts of people. We need game leaders. We need like um, the troop leaders. We put the kids into little clusters. We need people to hang out with the kids. We need people who will be on stage helping sing the songs. We need people who can be behind the stage helping set things up and get things ready and put together. We need snack people. So there's all sorts of things that you can do. We partner with four other churches on this and it has been a blast every year. We did not get to do it last year so we're excited to get to pull it off this year and help kids realize just how treasured they are by God. Well, speaking of some people being treasured by God, we want to honor our graduates. We've got one high school graduate and one college graduate, and so I'm going to ask Veronica to come join me up here, and I just realized I forgot the presence, so you come, come on up. You can hold this. And uh, our other graduate is Asa uh, Engelhardt. Asa can't be here. I'll talk about Asa here in just a, a moment. Um, but first, Veronica, we want to know, where are you graduating from and what's next? I'm graduating from Hawkeye Community College with an applied Asso Associates of the Applied Sciences, Police Science. And next, I will be looking for a job in law enforcement. All right. Awesome. Yeah. And then uh, Asa Engelhart is graduating from, oh, I forgot my phone. Steve sent me a text. But Asa is graduating from high school, and uh, they're joining us online today. The uh, Engelhart family can't be here in person because a number of people in their family have been battling COVID. And so uh, to keep us safe, they are staying home. So we miss you guys. Uh, and Asa, we're really, really proud of you. And Steve texted me, and uh, Asa wanted us to know that he's really excited to graduate. And what's next for him is going to live independently. Uh, and uh, those of you who know Asa, that's going to be a big step for him, uh, and so we want to pray for him as well. So what we're giving today is a little booklet. I know I'm going to ruin it, but it's because it, it's wrapped, so spoiler alert. Uh, it's a little little booklet uh, that has God's promises, uh, various uh, uh, topics. Uh, if you are facing something like you're fighting anxiety or you just need some encouragement or some comfort, you can go into this little book, and it's got scripture passages that help address that particular issue. And then we're also giving them a $10 a Walmart gift card because we figure as you're going to start setting up life, you might need a few things as you're going to live independently. You might need some things in your place. So we wanted to help on the practical side as well. All right, with that, I would like to pray for these guys. So I invite you to pray with me. Well, Heavenly Father, it's a joy to get to honor uh, Veronica and Asa and recognize uh, the accomplishment that they have made in completing uh, an associate's degree and completing high school. 
And we pray, Father, that as they head out to what's next, um, that they would go in your grace, that they would go with the knowledge that you are with them, and that would bring them great comfort. Uh, Father, for many of us, anytime we go through big transitions, it, it can really get us off kilter. It can really unsettle us. And so I pray that you give these two just incredible grace and that they would just respond well, and, and you would grow them through this, that this next chapter in their life would be a time when you work deep in their hearts and their lives, and we would see great, tremendous fruit come from them, that we'd see them just grow in, in their uh, knowledge of who you are, and, and we would just take great comfort in the church family and seeing you work in them, knowing then you will be working through them. So Lord, we pray practically for Veronica, that you would help her to find that next job, that right place, and, and that she would uh, find a place that she could bring her gifts and talents to, and a place that would be grateful for her. We pray for Asa, as you get him set up uh, living independently, that, that he would be able to thrive in that. I pray that you'd put uh, people around him who will support him and help him, and, and let that be some of us as well, Father. Uh, and, and Lord, we pray that, that they would know that not only are you with them, but we are with them. We are for them, and that they would know that their church family is behind them, and we are here to support them and pray for them and encourage them and keep pointing them towards Jesus. So God, we thank you for what they have accomplished and what you are doing in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open it up to Mark chapter 11. Uh, if you are new to the Riverwood family, we have been in the book of Mark for uh, quite a while now. As you see, uh, this is the 30, I put up the title slide, this is what, our 38th sermon? Yeah, so 38 times in the book of Mark, and uh, we're only at chapter 11. Last, uh, the last five weeks, we've been in chapter 10. Uh, just the way it's structured, it just causes us to be there for five weeks. Today, we basically do chapter 11 in one full sweep. Now, we are not going to do the first 10 verses because that's basically all about the uh, entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And we, in a sense, just did that on Palm Sunday. So we're going to skip those 10 verses. So if you want to go back and study those 10 verses, by all means, do so. You can go back and listen to the message, even though I used a parallel passage. It's basically the same section. Um, but we're going to start in verse 11 today. And the way the story works is we have to do the whole thing. It's, it's kind of like a really tight woven braid. We're going to have two strands today. And, and we, if we were to, to go through it uh, chronologically, we would just keep jumping back and forth. The, the two strands are we're going to be at around a fig tree and we're going to be at the temple. And, and if today when we start in verse 11, you'll notice we start in the temple. We'll go to a fig tree. We'll go back to the temple, back to the fig tree, and back to the temple, all right? Hopefully, it's not going to be too much like a tennis match where you're back and forth, back and forth, all right? So what we're going to do is we're going to take the thread apart. We're going to go with one strand. We're going to go with the, the fig strand first. Then we'll jump over to the uh, temple strand, and we'll see how the two actually fit together, all right? So if you've got your Bible open, we're going to start in verse 11. Mark 11, verse 11. And he, Jesus, entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Well, on the following day, when they, had come, uh, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, 
may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. All right, now, because we're sticking with the fig tree strand, jump down to verse 20. We come back to the fig tree in verse 20. As they passed by in the morning, so this is the next day, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. All right, so today's passage, as I said, starts immediately after the triumphal entry, what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. Jesus has just ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. The people were waving their palm branches. They're laying their cloaks down, and they're yelling, Hosanna, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's now there to set himself up as king and overthrow Rome and reestablish Israel as a sovereign nation. But if that were the case, you would think Jesus would head off to like a governmental office, or at least to Herod's palace. But no, he heads to the temple. And did you notice there in verse 11, he walks into the temple, looks around, and leaves. I mean, like how anticlimactic. I mean, the crowds are all going, oh man, this is it, this is the moment. And wait, where, where's he going? And he just takes off and starts heading back towards Bethany. Well, they have a good night's sleep there in Bethany, get up the next morning, but clearly the hotel they were staying at did not have a continental breakfast bar. Right? There, there was no hotel, just so you know. Um, but anyway, they're making their way back to Jerusalem, and he sees a fig tree. Now, Jesus is hungry. So, hey, let's go over and have some figs. I mean, the, the tree's in full leaf. But did you notice Mark points out that it was not the time for figs? And yet Jesus walks over there, doesn't find any figs, and throws a little hissy fit. Like, what is up? Is he just really that hangry? Turns out that when a fig tree is in full leaf like that, it's getting ready to produce fruit. And so it creates these buds. In fact, here's a picture of a bud from a, a fig tree. People would apparently come along and pluck those and eat those. I have no idea how delicious those actually are, but they, would, they were apparently edible, so they would eat them. So when Jesus shows up to this fig tree that's in full leaf but does not find any buds, that's why he curses it. Because if it has no buds, it's not going to produce any fruit. Now you may be thinking, well, why does he get so upset about that? Because it's looking like it's a healthy tree, but it's not. Now, down in verse 20, we see that when the next day, as they're walking by, Peter notices the tree and sees it's withered. Now, I'm using the ESV, the English Standard Version, and this is what I use most weeks, but I, I think they got one word wrong here. It's the word to. They say that it's withered to the roots, but every other translation I looked at uses the word from. Now, I am not a Greek scholar, but I've got some tools that I use to help me understand, and in the Greek, the word that's there is most often translated from. So I believe that it wasn't withered to the roots, like, you know, lightning striking from outside and it withered down to the roots or, you know, a bug infestation. No, I think that when Jesus cursed it, something happened to the roots underground, and that's what caused it to die. 
Because you see, the roots are like the heart of the tree. I mean, a tree could look impressive above ground, but if it's got really weak, pathetic roots, a strong wind comes along, the tree's over and it's done for. If, if it doesn't have good enough roots, it can't draw up the water and the minerals to pour it through to then help produce the fruit. And so the fact that this fig tree is not even producing any buds, so therefore will not produce any fruit, is an indication it probably already has sick roots. And so Jesus' curse upon it is merely speeding up the process that this tree was already on. But Jesus is also going to use this as an illustration because of what we see over on the temple strand. All right, so let, we're going to jump over now to the other strand. We'll, we'll come back to the fig tree stuff here in a little bit. All right, join me in verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them, saying to them, Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. All right, so again, stick along this strand, jump over to verse 27, and we'll be back at the temple. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do them? Well, Jesus said to them, well, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? For they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, remember back in verse 11, after Jesus has made his grand entrance, he walks into the temple and just simply looks around. Goes to Bethany, has his good night's sleep, sees a fig tree, curses it, shows back up at the temple, and begins to throw over the, the tables. Right? Does Jesus like have anger problems? I mean, first he takes it out on a fig tree, and now he's like kicking people out of the temple. Like, what is going on? To help you understand why Jesus is suddenly so angry and passionate, I want to paint a little fake scenario. There are, there are some churches, this part is true, there are some churches that have a tradition where men sit on one side and women on another on their, at their Sunday morning worship service. I want you to imagine that a church in that tradition, there, there aren't many of those churches, by the way. Um, I did find out there is one, at least one in Iowa, uh, down in the Amana colonies. There's, there's a church that does that. And, and if you go to their website, it's not that they think we're wrong if we don't do that. It's just part of their tradition, so they just seek to honor that tradition. And so this is how they worship. But I want you to imagine that for some reason, Riverwood moves to a different building, and a, a church that has this tradition ends up moving into the space. But rather than men on one side and women on the other, they take this tradition to an extreme irrational state, and they only allow the men into the sanctuary, and the women have to worship from the lobby. 
right? So they close these doors right here, and the women, have, we have speakers set out there, and the women just have to sit and listen. Oh, and by the way, in this fake scenario, this church does not believe in children's ministry. Children are part of the family, so they should worship with the family. And since moms are the primary caretakers of the family, the children are out there as well. And, and boys aren't allowed in here until, let's say, age 16. So you got 15 and under out there with all the women as the men are in here. But let's just take the scenario even further. Let's say a couple of guys are sitting back here and, and they're starting to have a discussion, but you know, they don't want to bother the other guys. And so they get up and they go out the door and they hold their conversation out in the lobby. And because of all the kid noise, they can't just like keep their, their conversation to a whisper. They have to bring it to full volume just so they can hear one another. And then as, you know, the songs get done and the worship team steps down and the pastor's getting ready to come up, there's kind of a lull. So a couple of guys get up and they walk out the doors because they want to go get more coffee. And so they, they weave their way through and the kids go, hey, daddy. And they run up to him and he goes, hey, it's good to see you, but you got to go back to mommy. Daddy's got to go back in for worship. Now, I suspect if you're female, you're not liking my scenario at all. Like, you're really uncomfortable. Like, where is Aaron going with this? I'm painting this over-the-top scenario to try to make you think, what would it be like for those women? As they're supposed to worship, do they feel like they can connect? As they can't see anything, all they can do is hear. As there's all the chaos and noise going on, are they supposed to be having these deep, meaningful, worshipful times? You'd probably say, no. I don't think that's going to help them really understand God as a loving God and really feel connected to him. Well, that is what was going on when Jesus was in the temple. See, most people think that Jesus is upset because there was this money being exchanged and these animals were being sold. That was part of it. But a lot of the animals that were being sold were actually being sold so that people could worship. The Old Testament had set up all these different sacrifices. Well, some of the people didn't have the things required. So to provide it as a service, to pay, that was totally fine. So that's not what Jesus is upset about. What Jesus is upset about is that they're doing that inside the court of the Gentiles. If you look at this illustration, you'll see here, there's this big area that's the court of the Gentiles, and then you come around, and then there was a court of women, and then the court of Israel. All of that selling of the animals, the money exchanging, all of that is taking place inside of the court of the Gentiles. Now, did you hear Jesus when he's overthrowing the tables? He says, my house is to be a house of prayer. So we know that he's inside there, but then he says, it's to be a house of prayer for all nations. You see, God is not just a God for the Jews. He was also the God of the Gentiles. If you go even into the Old Testament, some people will try to tell you that God seems to really be angry in the Old Testament, but he's a really nice guy in the New but if you go into the Old Testament, you'll see time after time after time of different people who were not Jews being welcomed in. God's heart has always been for the Gentiles. That's why Paul, when he writes in Romans chapter 9, he quotes from the Old Testament prophet of Hosea. This is Romans 9, 25 and 26. As indeed he, meaning God, as indeed God says in Hosea, those who were not my people. So right there, some of the Jews would think, well, that's the Gentiles. Well, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living 
God. This is why Jesus quotes Isaiah 56, 7, saying, my house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. All you have to do is go to the book of Revelation. Cheat. Look at the end of the book. At the end of the story, when all is said and done, you will see all tongues, all tribes, all nations, all people groups, all skin colors, all economic levels, all genders. You will see all represents, uh, uh, representatives of humanity in heaven before the throne. God's heart is for people. And yet these Jewish people, these, uh, primarily these leaders, had set up the worship system that as the Gentiles are coming in to try to connect with the one true God. I mean, keep in mind, at this time, they believed there's all these other gods. But some Gentiles started thinking, maybe there's only one. Maybe the Jewish God is the one. And so they go to seek him. But as they're trying to worship him, trying to connect with him, there's nothing but chaos. The noise of the animals, the, the money exchanging going on, all of that happening. Who would want to come to that God? So Jesus comes in angry and overthrows things. Because what Jesus realizes is that by them setting up the legal system, I mean the worship system like this, revealed that the heart of many of these Jewish leaders, that the roots were bad. See, they weren't producing the fruit that God wanted. When God began the Jewish people, they were to be a blessing to the world. But now, they're trying to keep out the world. They're making it impossible for them to come to God when the whole reason they were created was to help people find their way to God. Their roots were bad. So that's why Jesus, just like he kicked the fig tree out of production, kicks these people out of the temple, trying to reset it up. Now, as you would imagine, this really, really bothered the Jewish leaders. And they've been doing this for like centuries. And this guy just walks in and overthrows everything. And so the next day when Jesus and his disciples are back at the temple, they confront him. And did you hear their question? Where did you get the right? Where did you get the authority? Who gave you this to behave like that? Now, Jesus responds to their question with a question. If someone did that in our day and age, we'd look at them and go, whoa, whoa, time out. Uh-uh, no, don't avoid the question. Answer my question first, and then I'll answer yours. But in first century Judaism, this was very typical. It, it was considered fair. Like, if you've asked me a question, I should have the right to ask you a question. And if you answer mine, yeah, I'll answer yours. And so Jesus just employs this very simple, common technique. But did you notice his question? He basically said to them, oh, hey, hey guys, do you, do you remember that crazy dude out in the wilderness, John the Baptist? You know, the guy in the camel hair, ate the, you know, locusts and honey, you know, kind of off. My, he's my cousin, by the way. Do you guys remember him? He was baptizing people in the Jordan River. Um, that baptism, was it from heaven or from man? Well, those leaders pulled aside, start whispering to each other. What do, what do we say? Because if we say it's from heaven, then he's going to say, well, hey, why didn't you believe him? Well, they, and by the way, they, they didn't think it was from heaven. They, they thought it was from man. But if they say it's from man, then all the people are going to get mad because the common people held John the Baptist as a prophet. They, they held him in high regard. So if they say, yeah, John the Baptist, little Fruit Loop, you know, he, uh, this was not from God, the people go, what? And, and now they would no longer want to listen to these Jewish leaders. And so in a sense, they would not only lose the respect of the people, they would lose their power over the people. 
so they're in a quandary. So they just come back to Jesus and say, we don't know. But really what they're saying was, yeah, we're, we're not going to answer your question. And that's why Jesus responds back. Well, if you're not going to answer my question, I guess I'm not going to answer yours either. But I'll answer the question for you. Not only was John's baptism from heaven, but Jesus was from heaven. Jesus, as God the Son, who established all things, had the right and authority because, as he said, this was my house. Just like the mom and the dad can establish the rules for the family, Jesus, as God, had the right to say, here's how it's done. You're not doing it right. I'm going to correct it. Who gave him the authority? His father himself. He's God. And that's why he had the right to come in and clean house. Because Jesus knew their roots were bad. And he wants them to have healthy roots, roots that get into the heart of God and see that God's heart is for all people. So do you see how the fig strand and the, and the temple strand weave together? But if you're really astute, you may have noticed we kind of skipped a big section on the fig strand. Let's refresh our minds. It's right there towards the uh, end of that fig strand. It's uh, verses 22 uh, through 25. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. So this is right after they've noticed the fig tree is withered. Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. This passage um, I've been familiar with for a long time because I have seen two big abuses with it. The first abuse that I've seen with this passage is people who look at it and use it as in, they would not use this word, but I will. They use it as an excuse to basically ask God for whatever they want. Right? They, they would look at it and say, oh, if you just believe it will be done for you. That, that whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it. So God, I believe I have won the lottery. Yes, thank you that I'm a millionaire. Oh my God, this is awesome. I'm gonna love it. I'm gonna bless so many people. God, thank you that it's mine. It's mine. I declare it. It's mine. You said God. So there it is. I have literally heard people use this passage to pray for a new car. I was in the car with someone as they drove by and they go, God, right there, that car, that's mine. In the name of Jesus, I just declare that. That is my car. You say to pray and I receive it. I just, I receive that car. Thank you, Father, for that car. I'm going to enjoy that car. Honestly. I'm going to address that abuse here in just a little bit, but that, that's one abuse that I see. The other abuse I see is just completely ignore it, to, to just try to completely explain it away. To, to, to basically look at it and go, okay, you know, scientifically, Mountains cannot jump into seas. Like, this is, this is over-the-top ridiculous. So, so, you know what? Let's just move on to something that's a little more comfortable, that, something that kind of fits our narrative. You know, this, this thing, now, we're, we're not doing this. All right? That, I see, think, is also an abuse because I believe that this is God's word. God wrote this through human authors, and yet he has protected it 
to the point that we know it is reliable. And so we can go and read it and study it. So therefore, God put this in here for a reason. And so we've got to understand what it is for. However, I don't believe we can just take it and use it then as a reason and an excuse to say, well, then God says he'll give me whatever I want. I mean, Aaron, doesn't it say in Proverbs that God will give you the desires of your heart? Yes. But before it says that, it says, delight yourself in the Lord. You see, I think there is an understated truth here that Jesus did not need to bring out because it's obvious That if you truly love God, if you are a Jesus follower, then what you deeply want is God's will to be done. And so if it's God's will for you to win the lottery, praise God. But if it's God's will for you not to win it, okay, that's fine. He knows what he's doing. If God's will is for you to have a new car, praise God. But if God wants you to continue to drive that clunker, he must have good reasons. So I will continue to drive it with happiness. You see, if you're going to say, I believe in an all-wise, all-knowing God, then that means that when God allows certain things to happen, you, you can't get mad at him. But God, I prayed for this. You said right here in, in, in Mark 11. Are you going after just what you want? Are you going after what God wants? Because what God wanted in the moment with the fig tree was for the fig tree to wither so that he could use it as an illustration with his disciples, and it happened. And honestly, if God wants a mountain to suddenly jump into a sea, he can make that happen. By the way, I need you to realize that when Jesus says that illustration, he's right there on the Mount of Olives. To cross from Bethany to Jerusalem, they're on top of a mountain. And on a clear day, you can look and see the Dead Sea. And so he's using real-life illustrations right then and there. But it was also colloquialism in Judaism for an impossible task to talk about a mountain. So when he says, this mountain will be thrown into the sea, they do not think, oh, this mountain obviously is going to one day end up in the Dead Sea. No, they're sitting there thinking, he's trying to teach us something. That if this is impossible, it's going to be impossible for us. But remember, back in chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus said, but what is impossible with man, it's not, it's not impossible with God. That with God, all things are possible. So if God wills it, if God wants it, it's going to happen. That is why I have no problem with someone praying big prayers. So honestly, if you are fighting something physically, pray. Ask God to bring you healing, because he can. But at the same time, Trust him if he doesn't bring it in the timing that you want. Live as though you have received it, but live also in a way where you say, but I'm going to trust him. Because I think that is what Jesus is going at. He wants us to live by faith. God can do far more than we could imagine. So let's pray the big prayers. What, What do you need to be praying for? What should we as a church be praying for? What big thing might God be calling us to? Let's pray it and let's go for it. Because he can do it. But at the same time, if he leads us a different direction, if he doesn't answer your prayer, it's not because he's mad at you, not because he's punishing you. He just has something better for you. And maybe, just maybe, your prayers will begin to change. But there's also one more thing that Jesus added on. He didn't stop there. Did you notice? He goes from praying about mountains into the sea 
to forgiveness. <laughs> like, what, how does he make that jump? Well, have you ever been deeply hurt by someone? If so, to forgive them might feel impossible. I remember years and years ago, I, I did a sermon on forgiveness. And uh, by God's grace, it touched a lot of people. But afterwards, there was one uh, gal that talked with me. And she apparently figured out other people it really resonated. So she was trying to be nice. And she says, Aaron, Aaron that was a really good sermon. But, and then she shared, there's someone in my life that I, I cannot forgive. I, I can't do it. I can only imagine it must have been something absolutely evil and awful done to her. I, I, I have no idea what it was. But you could see the pain in her eyes. And so there was a part of me going, I get it. I'm with you. I'm sorry. But I think Jesus would counter and say, if your Father in heaven can forgive you, then you need to forgive others. You, you realize that God is a pure and holy God. Like there's no one like him. He is so pure and holy that sinful humans cannot come into his presence. If we try to come into his presence, we will be obliterated. His glory is so awesome. It isn't that he would destroy us because he's punishing us. He, he would destroy us simply because he's that incredible. And so to protect us, he often puts a veil. That's why he sends, you know, like an angel to talk to someone or, or there's some sort of veil. He won't let someone see his face. He even sends Jesus to protect us. But then by sending Jesus to the cross, he can forgive us. The penalty has been paid, and that is what now allows us as sinful humans to have our sin washed away, and we could come into the presence of that perfect holy God. So I think Jesus would look at us and say, so if I, as God, can forgive you, then you, as a sinful human, can forgive another sinful human. But Aaron, you don't know what they did to me. You're right, I don't. But I do know that the worst sin that a human could commit against another human pales in comparison to even the smallest of our sins against a perfect holy God. And yet God in his grace completely forgives us of that. So we need to forgive others. Now please, please, please do not mishear me. I am not saying that to forgive someone means that they shouldn't face any consequences. God has blessed us with four biological children. If someone were to murder one of my children in cold blood, I do not say, that's no problem, I forgive you, I got three others. No, my four children are precious. I would be angry. And that person should face the consequences, which would probably include prison time. And yet, I would need to live with forgiveness of that person for what they did to me, to my family, against my child. Because if I don't forgive them, I'm trying to take the place of God. I'm trying to say, God, I don't trust you to deal with this person, to handle this right. So I've got to hold on to this bitterness. I've got to hold judgment against them because you're going to screw this up. And in that moment, I'm revealing that my roots aren't healthy. You see, if you're going to say you're a Jesus follower, your roots are to go into the gospel. 
there to be drawing up God's love, God's grace, and it is to come out of you as fruit towards others. So Jesus is saying to us, if you will not forgive, your roots are unhealthy. And Jesus wants you healthy. He wants to do so much through you. That means he needs you to be healthy and let him do this deep work in you. So yeah, please, by all means, go and pray the big prayers. Pray for God to do the impossible. But don't you dare go pray for those things without first getting on your knees and saying, God, help me to forgive that person. It's funny, as I was working on this, last night I was running through my message, and as I hit this part, it was just like God overwhelmed me for a second. And I realized there were some people that I hadn't forgiven. The thing is, if you'd asked me, you know, just a few hours earlier, I'm fine. I'm not angry at anyone. And I wasn't. I wasn't angry. And yet, I suddenly realized there were just these little things that had been getting at me. And I was holding some things against them. And it's like God saying, Aaron, your roots aren't as healthy as you think. And so I had to just kneel right here and just pray, God, help me to forgive, to let this go, to trust that you are sovereign. I suspect some of you need to do that right now. Is there someone that maybe you've been holding something against? Someone from your past? Something that happened this week? Something that's been going on? Do you need to let it go? Do you need to pray? And guess what? It's going to feel impossible to forgive them. But with God, all things are possible. And so pray, God, would you help me to forgive? And then leave here or log off. I'm going to now go and live as though they are forgiven. So as we move into our time of communion, I just want to create the space for you to, to pray, to deal with God. I want you to have this moment to just say, God, who do I need to forgive? Also, with this, where maybe your roots aren't healthy? Where maybe is God saying, hey, I, I'm calling you to this? Maybe there's a big prayer that you need to be praying, and you've been scared to do it you're afraid of what it might mean right now I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you what is it you need to deal with is it forgiveness is it prayer is it your trust of him if, if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus I want you to know I'm glad you came and I'm glad you heard this message because in it you heard that Jesus went to Jerusalem to ultimately die on a cross for the forgiveness of the sins of humanity and that God loves us so much that through Christ's sacrifice, our sins are washed away and now we can come into the presence of that perfect holy God. Right now, I want you to come into his presence. I, I want you to give your life to him, to confess your sin and acknowledge that what Jesus did was for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just not sure about this yet, I'm just gonna ask you to very politely allow these uh, communion elements to just pass by. At Riverwood, we celebrate open communion. So if you are a first-time guest with us, but you have a faith in Jesus, would you take these elements? Would you take that bread? And, and remember, that's Jesus' body broken for you. Would you take the cup and drink it, remembering Jesus' blood, which was shed for us? That is through his sacrifice, we find life with God. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, just simply let these go by. And instead, just spend the time talking to God. Is what I'm saying true? Is all of this real? Was there really a Jesus who really went and did this? And if it is true, 
will you give your life to him? So whatever the Holy Spirit needs to do right now, I just want you to open up and give space for him to do it. So let's spend some time in prayer. Let's spend some time in song. At any time during the song, you may take the elements. If there's someone you need to forgive, do it. If you need to send someone a text right now, do it. If, if there's someone right here, just spend it, go to them and say, I'm so sorry I've been holding this against you. I forgive you. Will you forgive me? Let's just spend this moment with God and allow him to do in us what he needs to. Because you guys, he wants our roots to be healthy so he can produce great fruit through us so that we will go and be a blessing. Let's do this now in remembrance of him.